Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Nigel Passer, and I'm the Managing Director of Waste Zone Compliance Solutions in the Middle East, a market for whom we've been providing compliance, risk, and corporate governance services since 2006. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to host this data protection webinar, as it is a topic which has become increasingly important both locally and globally. Many participants will recall the significant changes that were introduced in 2018 with the introduction of GDPR in the EU, and of course, many other jurisdictions updated their equivalent legislation in recent years. Of course, data protection legislation is not new in either the DIFC or the ADGM, and has been in place since those financial free zones were first created. But all participants will be aware that in both the DIFC and the ADGM, the data protection regimes have been significantly updated in the past two years. So in that regard, I'm delighted to be able to introduce a distinguished panel of three respected experts in this field who will tackle a range of topics on the subject, including implementation, data transfers across borders, experience to date, and uh, fines and breaches. On the panel, we have Laurie Baker, VP Legal and Director of Data Protection for the Office of the Commission of Data Protection in the DIFC. Saeed Madar, Head of Operations for the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner in the ADGN. And last but not least, Susanna Balavas, Head of Data Protection for Waystone Compliance Solutions Middle East, and who will moderate the discussion today. Before I hand over to Susanna, just a reminder that if we are unable to address any specific topic or issue that you may have due to time constraints, please do feel free to contact us as Waystone Compliance Solutions and we would be delighted to assist. And with that, over to you, Susanna. So by way of introduction to the topic, the UAE has recently taken a huge leap into the ever-increasingly complex world of data protection. It's the start of a global movement seen in most jurisdictions such as Europe, China, India, Singapore, Saudi and the USA, to name just a few. Which is great, the UE is ahead of the game. However, for our attendees new to data protection, that can often mean navigating difficult processing routes to ensure smooth and efficient use of personal data and a whole lot of law and regulation to understand. Today, we hope to clarify the UE's part in this ever-increasing puzzle. In recent years, the DIFC released the DIFC Law Number no. 5 of 2020. This has now been subject to amendments in March of this year. The ADGM released its Data Protection Regulation 2021, and the UE's announced its federal law in Decree Law Number no. 45 of 2021. The UAE federal law is pending its supporting regulations, so until we have those, it's a little bit difficult to guide you on the topic, but I'd be happy to provide an overview once we have the full story. So without further ado, let's dive into the DIFC and ADGM regimes. Our first question. Both the ADGM and the DIFC have recently updated their laws and regulation on personal data. If you can summarise the core features of your regime, what would they be? I'll hand that to Laurie first. Thanks, Susanna, and thank you for having us here to discuss uh, these important issues. So the DIFC uh, watched and waited after the enforceability of the GDPR uh, came into effect in May of 2018 to get a sense of what would make most sense for our regime here. And we didn't want to massively deviate from what we already had because it was quite uh, closely based on what was happening in Europe anyway. And at that time, 
um, you know, before the sort of springing up of hundreds of data protection laws all around the world, um, you know, guiding principles. So we stayed the course. We wanted to ensure that uh, companies in the DIFC wouldn't struggle with an additional compliance burden and aligned with many of the elements that we already had, including data protection principles, international transfers, uh, data subjects rights, uh, breach reporting, and so on. But we brought it up to speed, not only with the GDPR at the time, but other data protection laws around the world. We incorporated bits and pieces from uh, California, from other regimes that we thought were getting it right. And we developed a few things of our own that we thought would make sense for the innovation hub type entities, uh, tech entities and so on, um, that would balance both transparency and accountability with flexibility for developing that kind of really important technology that would in in fact basically um, benefit the data subjects that would be using that technology from the DIFC or anywhere else they're based. So we wanted to ensure that uh, there was compatibility, but a bit of forward thinking woven into the overall um, result. And I think what we got is uh, a really good balance of all of those things and has been well received. So, you know, we're being assessed for adequacy recognition by the UK at this point, because a lot of things have changed over the last four years since we started on this journey. you know, uh, we're, we're happy to have the opportunity to do so and demonstrate that the laws in this region are on a same footing with uh, international best practice in the rest of the world. So that was our aim. Thank you, Laurie. And Said for ADGM. Thank you, Susanna, and thank you for having me. Um, so we, we followed a similar approach, actually, uh, to what, what Laurie just said. And, and in ADGM, you know, our law was enhanced, and, and this, we enhanced the standards, but we also you know, wanted to make sure that we continue to align with international best practice. And that was looking at you know, the GDPR, which came into effect, as, as Laurie said, in May 2018. But we also looked at the new Council of Europe's so Convention 108 uh, plus. Um, but some of the core features, I guess, and, and uh, what was included from our 2015 regulations to 20. 2021 was, um, for example, the extraterritoriality where the context of the activities of is of the establishment in ADGM. Um, but we also looked at, you know, enhancing individual rights um, and the new principles such as, you know, the accountability principle. And what accountability really introduced was uh, ensuring, you know, that entities have to demonstrate how they comply with the principles. And that, that adds a new level of, di- a new dimension really to our regime because it puts the responsibility on data controllers to, to show you know how they uh, comply with not just the regulations, but also how they look at individual rights and the processes within their organization. Um, and also in, in terms of enhancement of individual rights, you know, we we introduced what was the automated decision-making and processing, um, you know, the, that individuals have a right not to be subject to automated, uh, solely automated decisions. And of course that's come on the back of, you know, uh, tech, tech startup and we're focusing really on, you know, the growth of technology in, in our jurisdiction and how we can make sure that individual rights are still considered within, uh, you know, within and enhanced within our law. Um, of course, there's also additional powers that were given to the commissioner in ADGM. Um, we are able to issue fines of up to 28 million uh, US dollars for the most serious convention uh, contraventions. 
Um, but we also be looking at, you know, adding exemptions uh, for small businesses uh, and small companies in ADGM, such as, you know, in some cases, the removal of fees or, you know, the requirement to, to not appoint a DPO if you're under a certain number of employees. Um, so we really, we looked at it from a comprehensive approach, not just to enhance the rights of individuals, but look at how we can support businesses in ADGM, because as regulators, we also want to make sure that, you know, we continue to support innovation, but done in an ethical and pragmatic way as well. So really, that that's the, the key and core changes within uh, the new 2021 regulations. That's great. Thank you very much. So on to the next question. Uh, we've seen an increase of firms being fined in relation to data protection. Are there any reoccurring areas of weaknesses that our firms should focus on? Saeed, if you could take that one first. Yeah, sure. So we've seen a, um, an increase in, for example, breach reporting and notifications. And something that, of course, all businesses need to be aware of is that data breaches are, of course, inevitable. Um, they they will occur. Whether, you know, the fact, the fact that the breach has occurred is not the issue from our regulatory point of view, but it's more of a how you've managed that and, and how you looked at your areas of weakness within your businesses. So a data breach could be, for example, an email sending error uh, as a blind CC or CC on, um, to, you know, uh, uh, more cyber f risks or, you know, ransomware and other type of attacks. But, you know, the, the key thing is there should be processes and procedures in place to manage and mitigate the risk. And you're looking at from the perspective of the rights of individuals, you know, making sure that you mitigate the impact to them. Um, that's what we look at. So for organizations, I think one of the key areas you should be looking at and focusing, focusing your activities on is what happens when an incident occurs? You know, um, do you have policies, procedures? It doesn't necessarily have to be formed, but at least you should have a process in place that looks up how does this, how has this occurred? How can you mitigate this? Um, with an emphasis of, you know, individual rights. So we're seeing an increase in that. Since the enactment of, the, of, of our new regulations, we are receiving breach notifications. And I think one of the areas I'm finding and we're identifying gaps is, is awareness of staff, you know, uh, training around staff, you know, making sure that staff know, um, you know, that, that they, they, you know, the organization, they know how data should be used within the organization, right? You shouldn't assume that, you know, member staff should not have t taken their laptop that is unencrypted with them. Um, if, if you need to be putting processes in place. So I think that's an area that ADGM companies and, and should be looking at and making sure that, you know, when when a breach happens, because a data breach is inevitable, and, and if, if you think your organization doesn't have, data, you know, data breaches at all, then I, I would strongly recommend you look at your process and make sure that, you know, you're identifying that there is a data breach when it occurs. Um, and just stress testing that processes, you know, doing desktop exercises um, and validating, you know, that your controls work in the way that, that you think it should work. That's really interesting, Saeed, because I think a lot of the time employee error gets missed on notifications and it tends to be the big cyber attacks that get reported. Um, and it's like you say, it's, it comes down to training to make employees aware that that is also a breach as well. And it could be, if not more dangerous <laughs> with the amount of information, the type of information that they have. Um, so, Laurie, do you have anything to add from the DISC perspective? Yes, I mean, in addition to breaches, uh, you know, we, we've seen an increase in those as well, but we see a lot of general questions now actually about, oh, there's a data protection law that we have to comply with. Um, you know, so it's something that I think is much more prevalent, whether that's because of events happening in the world, uh, news headlines, things like that or if it's part of our communications and an outreach process or both, um, it's definitely 
uh, coming to the fore that, you know, there is a compliance obligation and, um, you know, many, many companies in the DRC do have to consider whether or not they are uh, required to notify, for example. So we've done a huge amount of work with respect to having uh, companies understand their notification obligations. We did an entire thematic assessment around retail companies, for example, um, that have told us that they don't this personal data. Um, and, you know, we can't tell them exactly what to do, uh, but we sort of told them what to do in a, in a lot of ways, you know, just saying, look, you know, it's impossible that you don't process personal data and we're going to explain to you why. And it's really good to engage that way. Um, you know, so that is part of the learning for us as well is just how much more we can engage directly with our companies, get them to build that privacy culture that we're trying to achieve in the DIC and the UAE generally. Um, we also see a lot more, uh, individual rights requests. Uh, like I had said, we also, you know, added some of those um, GDPR-like kind of individual rights uh, matters, such as um, automated processing. We've added a bit around non-discrimination when it comes to exercising data subjects' rights. Um, so we see a lot more of those uh, complaints coming in, not necessarily requests to us for our data, but complaints about um, unlawful processing or not meeting their compliance requirements or the response requirements under individual rights kinds of um, requests. So either no response whatsoever or, um, you know, not an adequate response. Uh, people seem to feel that they're entitled to a lot more information. And it's been actually quite a good learning process with that as well to help people understand the difference between for example, a subject access request and discovery in the courts and what you're going to obtain uh, through one access or information gathering process versus the other. Um, and we've actually then translated everything that we learn every time through these assessments or these experiences of complaints or what have you, um, breach notifications, et cetera, into updating our guidance. So our guidance is constantly being updated, reviewed, updated, reviewed, um, and our website now is laid out in such a way that um, when the guidance changes, you don't have to go find a whole new link. We basically have provided you with, um, you know, sort of headers around certain topic matters so that you can just constantly go back and check um, that header about what, um, you know, guidance you're seeking. We've also provided a lot of assessment tools. So we're seeing a huge uptake in using those tools as well. Um, I just had somebody send me the other day what our statistics are on sort of access to a particular set of tools that we have on our website for basic assessments. Does the law apply to me? Um, do I have to notify? Do I have to appoint a data protection officer? What do I have to do for transferring data outside of the DIFC? These assessments are literally three to four questions long each. And if you answer basic uh, responses, you get a very simple, straightforward set of guidance. And I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we're seeing a lot too is just interest. People are really trying to get hold of this and, and embrace 
their new compliance obligations without the fear necessarily of, you know, massive fines or or what have you. I mean, we're we're kind of a petri dish here for um, experimentation around this and and learning so that uh, you know both between ADGM and DIRC we can be more of a enabler not only of business but of understanding and of a privacy culture to to make sure that you know everybody that's working in our jurisdictions gets what their obligations are and apply them appropriately. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Laurie. Um, you actually touched on our next big topic, uh, which is transfers. So data transfers and restrictions to such transfers are a big concern with our attendees. I think, again, it comes down to the fact that, you know, Europe, there's a lot of the news about transfers to the USA. So can you provide some guidance on the best way to manage international transfers? Uh, Laurie, if you could take this one. That's a big topic to cover in a couple of minutes, but I'll try. Um, Indeed. You know, I, I guess the starting point, and maybe this sounds a little bit counterintuitive, is if you don't have to transfer, don't, quite frankly, um, you know, or if you can keep it within your jurisdiction, but you do have to be mindful of, um, you know, what onward transfers might look like if you do send to just another ADGM company or another DIC company, um, you know, there will be onward transfers. And to say don't transfer is almost an impossibility these days. But I mean that sincerely. Think about it. Think about what you do have to transfer. Think about what you don't have to transfer. And if you don't have to transfer something outside of your jurisdiction, don't do it. It creates risk for you. Um, and that goes back to even just making sure that what you do have in your systems is exactly what you need for the purposes that you need it. Um, so that when you do transfer data, you're reducing the risk every time by, you know, sort of limiting the data set to what is absolutely necessary and proportionate to your requirements. Um, but otherwise, you know, just, just think practically about what it is that you're doing in the course of the transfer. Who will probably end up with it? Um, where will it come to rest, as it were? How many times? Um, and what do those jurisdictions look like in terms of not only data protection laws, but other types of um, laws and um, certifications, codes, whatever, anything that might um, protect the data more suitably or in the opposite, may may not protect it at all, um, might open it or expose it to more risk. And secondly, don't just look at the jurisdiction. I know I just said to look at the jurisdictions where it will end up, but look at the company that you're transferring it to and ask them hard questions. Don't just say, we'll sign the model clauses or the DIC clauses or the ADGM clauses, and that'll be that. Read what they say, figure out what you have to do, what your obligations are, and under get an understanding of whether the company that you're transferring data to and their chain of processors or co-controllers or what have you actually get it. It sounds like a lot of work, but again, through a few simple questions, um, you know, you can, you can get a lot of information that will help you make sure that your transfer is going to be at least compliant with our laws, if not with, you know, other international laws and best practice. Yeah, such a good point. I think a lot of firms are looking at it at the moment and looking at a, checkbook, a checkpoint exercise and they don't actually know what's happening and they don't know what the organisation is doing and some companies saying, yeah, we comply, um, but they don't really comply at all. So that's a really good point. Um, so the next question goes to Saeed. Um, so as a follow up to that question, uh, do you have any advice for transferring to UE onshore, which is currently not deemed an adequate jurisdiction by both the ADGM and DIFC? Obviously, that may change. Um, 
but a lot of our firms have issues with implementing model clauses or standard contractual clauses. Do you have any advice for them? So firstly, I think it's important to note that, you know, the, the transfer provisions are included within our law and the IFC law, you know, to, to facilitate the free flow of data. So uh, the, the purpose we have transfer provisions is to ensure, you know, that the rights are, uh, and obligations follow the data irrespective of where it goes, right? So it's, um, the you know, it's there to support businesses, you know, allowing them to do their do their work. And if they need to transfer, then of course um, um, the, the law allows that. But what, of course, the, the key thing we want to highlight is, is that, you know, in terms of UA onshore, whilst it's not deemed adequate, um, there are other mechanisms, right? It's not the only mechanism for transferring personal data. And and whilst adequacy decision itself is is, you know, it's it's the, the gold standard in terms of easing business between two jurisdictions, it's not the be or end all, right? So, of course, one of the measures you talked about, standard contractual clauses, which may be difficult, you said, to implement is um, just look at, as, as I said, just look at the, the reason that you are transferring the data, really, and understand, do you need to transfer the data? And secondly, you know, if you are transferring data, can it be done? Um, does it have to be, you know, personal data? You have to think of it from that perspective. Do you, could you do it where it doesn't meet the criteria of being personal data? If it doesn't, then it wouldn't be considered a transfer. It wouldn't be personal data, right? Um, but in, if, for example, you're saying for whatever reason, standard contractual clauses may be, may be difficult to implement, um, I mean, it's important to look at the way we've done it, especially in ADGM, is, is you know, we've given guidance notes, um, you are able to just include, you know, we've, we've put, you know, notes for each section, allowing them pretty much to, to just follow our guidance and, and apply where it's appropriate. But if the transfer is not, you know, a core activity or it's done on an ad hoc basis or, you know, it's infrequent, then I would recommend you look at the derogation and see if any of them apply. Um, for example, you know, can you use consent? Um, is, is it necessary for the performance of a contract? Um, is it necessary in the interest of the data subject? It doesn't have to be a subcontract with the data subject itself. It could be between two entities for the interest of the data subject. So th there are various mechanisms to transfer data, and I think you should look at it for that purpose. For UAE onshore, I guess you have to go back to what is your reason for transferring the data. And if you are, if you can rely on the derogation, then rely on the derogation. It's not there to, there isn't a, we don't consider, you know, a transfer under adequacy versus a transfer under standard contractual clause or derogation any less uh, insecure. As long as you've done your assessment, you've looked at the reason of transferring data and whether, you know, it's necessary for your transfer. So we take a pragmatic approach and same in DFC as well really just understand the reason you're transferring data. And if you do, then just look at the safeguards and, and other measures if you can't rely on adequacy. That's brilliant, thank you. Um, so, I mean, we're really running out of time, so I'm so sorry, I wish we had more time. But just to close off the session, um, let's talk about the future of your regime. So what does the future look like in the DIFC? Laurie, if you could take it first. Yeah, uh, you know, we're hoping that we will see some additional regulations around emerging technology, around not just specific technology, but kind of the jurisdiction technology, I suppose. Um, it's, it's a little bit hard to describe, but, you know, we'd like to see development of, um, you know, standards and regulations that are keeping up to date with what's happening in the world today. Um, you know, we see it happening in Europe, for example, and in other 
places like Vietnam, Singapore, what have you, where you know really key principles and and um, regulations or draft regulations are coming out to help support the privacy aspects of developing and and using technology. So that's one key piece I think that everybody's going to have to look at at some point or another. Um, you know, we we amended our law ever so slightly uh, with respect to even further solidifying data subjects' rights. So um, with respect to that, we have put in place um, a register requirement, for example, when uh, data subjects' rights are not responded to or you know deemed by a company to be um, unfounded or excessive or what have you, they have to actually say why. So you know we're we're finding ways like that to um, drill down into what companies' accountability uh, requirements are. And I think that's got to be a huge, huge part of it. And we're also looking very much at still transfers, you know, to stay on that topic, um, you know, coming up with a way, a more universal way to be able to quickly, but with certain accuracy and um, confidence, assess a jurisdiction, but also provide a tool that companies can then use to quickly and accurately assess the company that they're sending to or the chain of companies involved in a transfer situation. So that, you know, like Syed said, just making it a little bit easier, making it a little bit more practical and understandable to navigate what's already a very, very difficult um, area, you know, especially given EU case law of data transfers. You know, we, we've come up with um, our version of the standard contractual clauses as well, which eliminate the need for choosing any modules whatsoever. You know, anything we can do together between our jurisdictions and other jurisdictions in the GCC, you know, we're very much looking at that sort of um, work as well, uh, you know, coming together and, and trying to come up with some sort of regional way of thinking about this, but also just, um, you know, pragmatically giving tools and developing further uh, compliance um, re requirements that will hopefully make it easier for companies to business uh, to to act in the DIC and ADGM. That's great, thank you, Laurie and Saeed. How about the ADGM? So yes, uh, data protection, of course, is it's an ever evolving area, right? It's fast paced, and 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 that's one of the excitement of being in in the field. So, but we'll continue to, of course, look at developments uh, in many areas um, and issue guidance in a way that's necessary. For example. Uh, especially in the region, uh, we've seen you know rise of new tech companies and adoption of technologies such as you know crypto companies, other technologies. You know, you've heard the metaverse, and and we will of course ensure that you know individual rights are safeguarded, that our data protection laws are complied with. But you know, we adapting our law. Uh, and, and adopting our guidance, at least to take into account, you know, how the innovations that we're seeing in the region. Um, of course, this, these raise questions such as, you know, how do we ensure principles and rights are reflected in these new technologies? You know, blockchain, uh, for example, where um, we've, one of the queries we, we do get actually from some of the tech companies, uh, crypto companies we have here is around the, the publication of the register and how that would, you know, the, the basis and use of that personal data that's used in the register. Um, of course, how how individual redress is also looked at in these new, uh, these new technologies, um, but also how, you know, to conduct 
privacy impact assessments where you know the risks are not fully understood and uh, like in ai and machine learning how because one of the requirements in our law uh, and, and, uh, is around notification we get notified where there is a a pia and it involves a high risk uh, and they or they haven't fully understood the risk so uh, it's an interesting area as said to be in and in terms of development uh, in our regime you know we, we are continuing to adapt you know they, they we're looking at potentially amendments uh, where we feel, you know, that, that they could be a way to enhance, you know, the, the need for the enhanced businesses, enhance innovation. Um, um, for example, we're looking at the, the the exemptions and seeing if there's, if, if it really is suitable, whether it can be applied in a, in a better way. Um, also looking at, you know, the intersection between consumer law and privacy, because that's an area we're seeing a lot in outside of our jurisdiction and how consumer rights organisations are working with data protection officers and how we can work together on that. So, um, well, as I said, it's an exciting time to be in data protection and, and to be a practitioner in the field. And uh, yeah, we'll, we look forward to what the future holds for, for data protection in the region. That's great. Thank you so much, Saeed. And thank you for both of you. I'm really sorry we're out of time now. So um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. I could speak to you all day about this. Um, we do have some more questions that we've not been able to get to today. So what we'll do is we'll address them separately. Uh, just as by way of a reminder, Laurie and Saeed are both available. They're both um, their email addresses are on their websites. Uh, you can also access their guidance notes, which are really, really useful when you're looking at implementation and what to do first. Um, if you do need any further help, you can always come to us. Uh, we also have some free guidance uh, documents that you can download from our website. Um, or you can drop me a message on LinkedIn um, or by email, and we can discuss a little bit further about the needs. And we'll come back to you separately on your questions. So thank you very much. Thank you to both of you, and um, we'll speak soon. Thanks very much to all the, to the panellists today and, and to Nigel for moderating. It was great to have everyone on board. And just to recap from Susanna's message earlier, you know, following the, the webinar, we will be sending follow-ups to everyone for, for ease of access in terms of contact details and follow-up collateral. Thanks, everyone, for joining.